<clears throat> so, um, tonight is the, uh, some of you know this, tonight is the second in a three-part series on a topic. It's got a pretty uh, heavy name of the three characteristics of existence. And it's, it's a very important and really uh, foundational part of Dharma teaching. And so uh, I just want to ask, um, uh, how many of you were here last Thursday? Okay, so maybe a little more than half, but there was a fair number of people who weren't here. So I'm, I'm going to just say a little something about, uh, about what was talked about, the characteristic that was talked about last week. It's important to understand the one we're talking about this week. Um, so what I want to do is really two pieces tonight. Tonight is is, is what um, I want to, the, the particular characteristic we're going to discuss. I want to des- describe it and name it and make sure we're clear about what it is. And then the second part is. Uh, how do we apply that? How do we use that? What uh, in our practice, in our lives? What's what's the what's the point of reflecting on these characteristics? So um, last week, the first of these is what's known as impermanence. By the way, you don't have to memorize these Pali or Sanskrit names that sometimes get thrown out. A lot of people, some people want to know them. It's not necessary at all. But I'm just going to n- name it in case you are. And also, if you don't remember these, don't worry, because if you stick around, uh, th- these are such uh, basic teachings, you hear them over and over and over again, so you, you end up hearing it so much that it, it will stick, so don't worry too much. So, um, the one last week, which is generally translated as impermanence, uh, the word is anicca, A-N-I-C-C-A. Some a few people are writing, and it's pronounced anicca. Um, I don't want to spend too much time on that, but basically that saying and something that we actually all know when we think about it is uh, there's a couple of levels to it. One level is is that it's impermanence. Things don't last. Nothing lasts forever, right? We we and we all know that um, um, intellectually when we think about it, right? Even the Earth itself won't last forever. We don't last. Our bodies don't last forever, right? We'll die at some point. Uh, the sun won't last forever. Galaxies don't last. You know, nothing lasts forever. So that's an important teaching. We'll come back to the why, but that's that's what what it's pointing to. And in, in fact, uh, this whole building, you know, if we just all walked away from it and and just nobody even uh, entered the building or touched it or did anything, at some point it would just crumble away on its own. Yes. What about the universe as a whole? So let me back up here for a second then. That's a good question. And let me just, uh, that's actually an important question. Um, And in case you didn't hear, because there's some people out there, I'm just going to say, the person just asked the question, what about the universe as a whole? Is the the whole whole universe last forever? So I want to be careful. I don't want to get into uh, metaphysical or uh, philosophical speculation, but I think this is the way to think about it. All of the Buddhist... So, um, most of the, the Buddhist teachings, 
we're dealing with what, what I would call the conventional world. Um, you know, there's this idea, uh, this is a little, we're getting off a little on the side here, but I think it's worth saying. So, you know, ultimately in Buddhism, there's this idea in Sanskrit, the word is nirvana, or in Pali, you'll hear it as nibbana. And that's kind of the ultimate reality. You know, when you get enlightenment in this tradition, what that means is when you're fully, whatever words you like to use, fully liberated, fully realized, fully awakened, or enlightened, pick, pick the way you like to talk about it. Um, traditionally, it said, you know, you, you've attained or you've realized, these words are so clumsy, but um, nirvana. And so then there's the, the whole thing, well, what's nirvana? And so that would be... Um, um, you know, so the Buddha attained nirvana, and once he attained, he still could, while he was alive, there was the nirvana, as, when he was, before, he, you know, and then he lived for 45 more years and taught and spoke to people, and he was still a human being, but he had some kind of awakening or realization. And then there's this other nirvana, then when he died, he, you know, kind of, that, the ultimate nirvana, and you know, what is that? And, uh, the Buddha uh, didn't really, he was pretty explicit about not trying to really say much about it because by definition it actually transcends verbal conceptual categories. So anything you could say about it would fall short of the thing itself. And it would be kind of like, and, and this may be a clumsy analogy, but it would be similar to in Maybe in Christianity, the highest truth would, or, real, or reality would be God. And so, um, you know, what, what, if you try to say, well, what's God? Well, you can kind of say, well, you can, and whatever, I don't know. You know, you can't really talk about it. You can kind of point to it a little, but that's, I don't know if that's such a good analogy, but it's just the best one that popped in my head in the moment. So because of that, the Buddha didn't really spend a lot of time trying to talk about that kind of ultimate um, and for another reason, he was very explicit also when there are stories when people came to the Buddha and, and said, you know, well, you say you're enlightened and you claim to have all this, you know, realization, so then you should know this, so, you know, you, I want you to tell me what it is. Uh, and if you don't, I'm just going to stop following your teachings because either you don't know or, you know, or whatever. And then the Buddha gave this wonderful analogy. Uh, this is actually important. I'm very happy you brought this question up. He gave this wonderful an analogy called the simile of the um, poisoned arrow. And he said, it's like someone who's been shot with an, a poisoned arrow. And before they would let them pull the arrow out, he had all these questions of like, well, who shot me? Why did they shoot me? What kind of poison did they use? What material did they make the bow and the arrow out of? And we're, you know, from what angle did they shoot me? All these questions. And even if you could answer all those questions, it's not actually going to do you any good. What you need, but the only thing that's going to do you good is to pull, you got to get the arrow and the poison out. And similarly, here we are in this situation that we'll call the human condition. We're human beings, we're alive, we're in the world. And even if we could use words to really convey that absolute highest reality in some way, what good is it going to do you? You still are left with how we think and speak and act and live. So what's going to actually do you some good is paying attention to how you think and speak. You can't necessarily control it. 
how you think, but you know, but you know how you think and you speak and you act and how you live. And if we pay attention to that, we live in a way, we practice in a way that then can bring us not to some idea of it, but to direct experience and realization of those highest truths. So the Buddha was very clear. He taught really mostly, I don't want to say 100%, but mostly taught his teachings were teachings of conventional life and reality that led one, that will lead one to a direct realization that, can, that trans, even transcends that. That's kind of the idea in Buddhism. And so it's really a practice of there, there is faith in Buddhism. It has a place. But really, it's mostly, if we didn't believe anything was going to happen, you would never show up for your first meditation class, right? If you didn't have some belief and faith. But, it's, but from that, it's actually intended to bring us to some direct realizations. And so for those of you who are, um, who've been meditating for a long time, of, uh, you know, I don't personally know anyone who's attained the end of the path, although you meet some, some of these masters who, you know, it's pretty amazing just to be in their presence. And I've been meditating for about 36 years and put a lot into it. And, you know, definitely, I have, since I haven't reached the end of the path, I actually couldn't talk to you either about nirvana, right? But you don't have to be, and this is the good news, we'll, we'll get back over into this, you don't have to know the highest truth. You can see a lot. And you can learn a lot. You can come to a lot of realization and a lot of transformation. For me, the practice has been utterly transformative. It doesn't mean you never have any trouble, you never suffer, but it really, there's a lot of fruit that's available for us and we don't have to be off in a cave and we don't have to be a Buddha to really have a lot of real results in our own lives, right? So all of these uh, teachings then and these three characteristics are now coming back to, we look around at the world around us. And so that's kind of getting back to the answer. So I'm so happy that you brought up that question. We're not trying to say, well, is there some ultimate transcendent reality that's permanent or not? We're just not going there. What we're saying is anything that you can see and feel and taste and touch and know and experience on any level, whether it's mental or physical or it's intuitive or even some of these incredible meditative states that seem to transcend ordinary reality, all of that is still contained within the conventional world of experience. And anything within the world of experience has three characteristics to it. And one of the characteristics is is impermanence. Okay? So you're nodding. So hopefully people can be satisfied with that. And, and the part we don't know, we'll just leave it as don't know. <laughs> right? So we'll say that everything in the universe, if we'll, is, you know, we certainly know that in the physical universe, like galaxies don't last forever. They even say black holes uh, don't last forever because there's a, uh, uh, my physics is a little shaky, but you know, there's these quantum, if the physicists here, please excuse me, but there's some kind of quantum uh, radiation effects and, you know, they leak a little bit and they say even after a very, very long time, much longer than the life of the universe, even black holes would eventually evaporate in them. So, you know, that's a long time. It's, all, it's like a lot of zeros in the years. But. So, you know, so that's one thing. But it's even more than just that things are here for a while and then, and then they don't last forever. If we actually start to look closer, 
It's actually saying that things are, there's another level to it also. Everything's in constant change. It's constant change. And if you were to look closely at anything, you would see, and one of the things that we can start to see in the meditation is the truth of constant change. We'll come back in a bit about, well, why would we, what's the point? But even this, I'll just hold up this bell here, right? And it's metal, and I'm hitting it. It feels pretty solid, right? But if you had your electron microscope, even using the standard, you know, atomic model that, you know, that, that modern physics will tell us, you could zoom in that, you would see that there's, it's really atoms. And if you look closely at the atoms, you know, it's just, they're all vibrating and changing, and there's the electron shell, and what's electrons? Well, I don't, we don't really know, but is there kind of, I don't know, maybe bundles of energy. They're not that solid. They're just moving, changing, you know. Even on the subatomic, the quarks are coming into existence and out of existence. It's just all changing. There's nothing really very solid. Right? So when we think about it, we know that that's true. But we don't live our lives as if it's true. That's the problem. That's why it's useful to think about impermanence a little bit because... um, um, well, you just look at the physical body, for example. Some of you are older than me, it looks like. Some of you are younger than I am. I'm, I don't know where I'm 54, so you can see where you are in there. But definitely, you know, when I look in the mirror, you know, my youth's gone. I don't know when I first looked in the mirror and the, and the thought arose in my mind. Where did my youth go? And I finally realized, but you know what? It is gone. I can remember back being a teenager, 20s, you know, life kind of goes on. And then one day you look in the mirror, it really struck me. I've actually told this story here before when uh, on my driver's license, I, um, they kept renewing it by mail. It's every, is it every five years. I said, right, every five years. So for three times in a row, I just got a thing in the mail. I didn't have to go get a new picture. I just sent in the check. A new updated one with the same photo in. So finally, so finally, the third time, 15 years later, I had to go down and get a photo. I went, got the photo, and got it, and didn't think much about it. And the new one came, and so I, you know, pull the old one out of my wallet and get the new one, and I look at both, and it's like, my God, <laughs> who's that old guy? Who's that young guy? It was just dramatic. You know, it really struck me. So. Um, we know that, no problem, it's just what happens. There's nothing going wrong, it's just what happens. It's just, right, it's, it's nothing went wrong. Just got older. Um, but if I'm clinging to the body, holding on to my youth, I'm going to suffer. We'll come back in a minute to that. So that's kind of a giving a hint here. So that's the first characteristic from last week is anicca, impermanence, includes constant change. Second characteristic that we'll go into now more tonight is, is uh, I'll say, uh, well, the Pali word, and I want to say the Pali word first because there actually isn't a single good English word for it, is dukkha. Uh, is there one K or two? D-U-K-K. Dukkha, D-U-K-K-H-A, Dukkha. It's the word that's generally translated as suffering. That's interesting. Is suffering a, a characteristic of existence? You know, most people, and I don't know about most people, but it's common for people to um, 
think that the Buddha said life is suffering, right? People have heard that. He didn't say life is suffering. He said life is dukkha. Um, a good, a better English word for, for dukkha would be unreliable, unsatisfactory. So why is that? Let's think about what uh, dukkha means. First of all, life isn't only suffering. I, most of us, I hope all of us know that there is some amount of happiness in life. I hope everybody's experienced some moments of happiness. Now, depending on our life circumstances and our stories, some of us will have had more suffering than others. Some of us will have had more happiness than others. But we all know life is a mix. There's pleasant experiences. There's, there's uh, you know, wonderful experiences. And there's challenges and difficulties. Life is both. Right? So when everything's going really great, are we going to say that that's suffering? I don't know. That'd be kind of a hard sell, probably. But if we go back to the... Um, so first let me say this. So dukkha does include the outright suffering, and we all know that there is that aspect of life. That um, um, there is, you know, we, we get sick. So sometimes, especially talking about getting older, you know, there's times... This used to happen when I was younger, but it seems to happen more. Uh, it just happened a few days ago on my shoulder. I just woke up for some, I guess there was some reason, but for some reason that was not apparent, my shoulder's kind of messed up and it's really been bothering me. It's just, it's just, I just woke up and, you know, it just happened. I have no idea why. And so that seems to happen more as I get older. I just wake up and something's just messed up or doesn't feel good or I'm complaining about this and that, you know. So, you know, we all know that even despite our best efforts, we can't control things. Unpleasantness can happen. We can get sick. So we know that there is suffering that can come. And when that's happening, that's certainly, we can can call it suffering. But But in this model, even getting what we want is considered dukkha. Even if you could create your perfect dream life, whatever that is, and that would vary for each of us, it's dukkha for several reasons. Number one, um, because of the first characteristic, nothing lasts. So it doesn't mean when life's good or happy that we can't experience it and we're supposed to deny it in some way. That's not what we're saying here. You know, pleasant and unpleasant experiences come and go. Things change. It's all changing all the time. Think of the worst unpleasant experience. Well, be careful. But think of just a real unpleasant experience in your life. I want to be careful because some things may be still echoing with you and don't seem like they're going away, so I don't want to trigger anyone off here. But certainly I, I can say, like, I, I'm trying to really backpedal here a little bit, but certainly I can think of you know, things unpleasant that um, maybe I was in a lot of pain, I couldn't get out of or something. That, did it last? No. Right? These things come and go. When we're in it, it seems like it's never going to go away, but they change. Same thing for pleasant. I'm thinking of some of the, you know, like when my daughter was born, it was one of the most happiest days of my life. Well, where is that now? That's a nice memory still. But the experience is gone. These experiences come and go, pleasant, unpleasant. So, if we're, and this is the key to everything, how is it that 
most of us, I'll, I'll take a chance and say all of us, even though a few people here I know, but there's no one here that I know well. How, how is it that as human beings, all of us, and I'm including myself here, that we look for our happiness? All beings look for happiness in creating. Isn't this what we're all doing? Some version of we're trying, whether we're conscious of it or not, we're trying to create the circumstances, create the situations where we'll have pleasant or have what we want in life. And to create the circumstances so we'll have less unpleasant experiences of less of what we don't want in life. In other words, say we don't want to be and if any of you are homeless, I don't want to trigger you off, but we don't want to be homeless. Maybe some people do, so then that would be a different story. But for those of you who don't want to be homeless, you don't want to end up living under a bridge. You want to have food and shelter and you whatever it is for you. You want to have meaningful work and you want to have love or a relationship. or Right? You, you have your idea of what you want life to, life to look like. That's what we're busy setting up. That's all we're doing. And we don't want to be sick or poor or struggling in some way or depressed or whatever it is. We don't want those experiences. That's, and I don't think we're going to stop that as a human being. We're not going to stop. That's natural. But if that's our only strategy for getting happiness, we're in trouble. Because if nothing else, that pesky first characteristic of existence, impermanence. So if you could create your dream circumstances, it will provide some satisfaction, but I say it's inherently, un, it's ultimately not reliable and ultimately not satisfying, i.e. it's dukkha, because first of all, uh, we know that despite our best efforts, things don't always go the way we want. We can't control things. There's an element of uncertainty in there. It doesn't matter how much we try. If we could control it, we would. We can't. I would argue that ultimately any uh, sense of control is an illusion, but that's another level there. But let's just say that um, there's an element of uncertainty in life. So you can set up everything you want and you know it may or may go, or not go your way. You may not get the good stuff you want or you may get the bad stuff you didn't want. So there's an element of uncertainty that's in life. And it's ultimate, so that's, that's the unreliable part. And there's also a, um, it's not ultimately satisfying, any experience. It's, it's, it's satisfying on one level, but it's not ultimately going to solve our problem. Right? Think of how many desires you've fulfilled in your life. Of any kind, food, sexual desires, possessions, whatever. Right? It feels good in the moment, but things don't last. So it's not ultimately going to solve our problem. It's not an ultimate refuge. It's a, it's it's kind of temporary. It's a temporal kind of our condition. So once again, I'm not saying we're not supposed to take care of ourselves or you know um, do work that you want to do or get an education and 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 eat healthy and take care of you know, all the things we do in life. But we just don't want to delude ourselves into thinking it's going to do more for us than it will. It can do a lot for us. It can do a heck of a lot for us. 
But we also need to be looking on another level. Is, is it possible to find a freedom, a happiness, a liberation that's not totally dependent on having to have a certain set of experiences and not having a certain other set of experiences? That's to, if, if our well-being and our happiness is completely caught up in the, in the nature of our experience, then we're at the mercy of the way the winds of the world blow. That's what, what the teachings are saying. To the extent we can make a shift and that our happiness is not so much about having or not having any experience, but how am I relating with whatever experience is happening? That's a lot of the training that we're doing here. Because we start to, and so we start to see, wow, things are impermanent. The more we see that and these things start to be revealed more and more through uh, the meditation practice and other practices on deeper and deeper levels, there's a natural kind of letting go or non-clinging that happens. So if I really get it that the body's um, going to get old, it's going to get sick, it's going to die, you know, I don't know if I'll die with no fear or it's not a problem at all. It'd be nice, you know, I don't know. But we can do a lot better, at least. We can prepare ourselves. We can, we can be at more at peace with, as our bodies age, and they go through their natural process. You know? Because when we get sick, we think, you know, something went wrong, but nothing went wrong. It's just what happens. I'm not saying it's a good thing or that you're going to like it. I don't like it. I don't like it even when I get a, a, a cold. I don't. I just came off of a cold last week. I still have a little residual sniffles, right? And I was just like, you know, I was complaining. And, but it's like I get the cold twice a year without fail. I know ahead of time. <laughs> and I'm still complaining. I know the body's going to get old. Am I completely, have I completely transcended any identification or, or clinging to the body? No. You know, I still look in the mirror and, you know, and, you know, my wife said, you know, my hair was growing. She said, you know, I want to see what your hair looks like buzz. So I said, okay, and so I buzzed it. And now I still look in the mirror and think, oh, geez, you know, but so I just, you know, I, I haven't transcended any identification. But, I know ahead of time it's nothing's going wrong. It's what happens to the body. It gets old. I know ahead of time what's going to happen to all of us. You know, we don't like to talk about it because it seems like it's depressing, but it's not meant to be depressing, right? We're going to die. We know ahead of time. Nothing's going wrong. It's just the way it is. Now I want to acknowledge I was I'm this week I'm I'm up at Spirit Rock some of you know that center up there I'm uh, teaching retreat co-teaching retreat that's going on up there right now one of the teachers up there longtime Dharma practitioner uh, might have to leave the retreat in the next day or two because his cousin who he grew up with is dying and they think he's only got the cousin has only a few days to live and he was really super close they were super buddies and they grew up together. And I was talking with him about it. And we were talking about how, you know, we reflect on these things. We practice. We spend a lot of time reflecting on it. And, you know, when the time comes, it is, you know, when it's, it's ourselves or it's another, 
look, you know, let's be honest, let's be real about it. Yeah, it's hard. It's not an easy thing. And he's having to deal with it. And he's kind of moping. The te- this is the Dharma teacher. This is the stuff he teaches. And he's still, you know, he's moping around. He's dealing with it. He understands, but he's still a human being. And so we want to acknowledge that, yeah, you know, the, it, it's not saying we're, we're somehow supposed to be transcendent. It's not even so, these teachings aren't even so prescriptive of saying you should not cling. We can think of it as being descriptive. It's just describing what happens. When we're clinging, we suffer because of impermanence and because of dukkha. To the extent we can learn to free the mind more and more and, and cling less and really be more in a harmonious flow with just the ups and downs of life, to that extent we suffer less and we just live really more open and aware and we're, we're not so reactive and we can see more clearly and there's, you know, we start to see things more and more and all of that kind of stuff. That's why it's worthwhile to reflect on these teachings. Things don't last. Number two, uh, dukkha, unsatisfactoriness or, or unreliable. Or if you want to use the word suffering, it's fine, but just the second characteristic. And then the one, the biggie next week, which I don't want to even say anything on, which is, which is no self. That, 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 well, right. What do you mean no self? I'm here. Aren't you here? Of course you have a self. So you have to understand what's being talked about there. But that's a third characteristic too. Uh, I won't steal the person's, you know, what they want to talk about from next time. So we want to reflect and come to know these things well. And then we need to then look and see, well, given all of this, how am I to live? Because, again, we're all trying our best to live in a way that creates, I hope we're all trying to live in a way that creates less suffering for ourselves and hopefully for others, and that creates more happiness for ourselves and hopefully for others. So we're all experts on suffering, but we're not so expert on what to do. And so then we need, sometimes that's where the Buddha comes in, or other traditions too. You know, it's, you know, it's not. I'm not saying there's not wisdom and how to live in any other tradition. And so when we do things like meditation practice, several things happen. One is we learn to quiet down and be more present and this is, you know, this is an experiential thing that you need to taste for yourself but you know, we, we really learn to settle the mind down and be more present and, and you know, well, what's the experience? What does that feel like when that happens? So we need to see for ourselves and really taste that and wake up, get more clear and present and free in the moment and when that happens we, we are more happy and we suffer less because it feels good to be more peaceful and expansive and awake and aware and all these wonderful adjectives we can use, we feel better, we suffer less. And on a whole other level, it allows us to be more present with ourselves, with other things, and to find that place of liberation and freedom in the midst of of any experience. 
And so the analogy I, I love to use, I know some of you have heard me say this probably a number of times, I, I use the analogy of a, of a circle and, and we sit in the center and then there's the circle and it contains um, the full range of our experience. Anything inside the circle is the range of experience in which we can uh, be perfectly at peace and free with. So we all know as part of the training we come here to sit and meditate and if you sit for a little bit maybe you get a little achy. You start to learn how to be to, to not lose our peace, our centeredness and be quite a, it can still be quite joyful even with some unpleasant experience. We don't, we don't let it get too strong because we're training so just a little bit we start to learn well with a little bit of unpleasant I can still be completely free and at peace it doesn't hurt my peace at all and then the some of the pleasant comes and maybe it starts to get blissful and we start to learn, we'll probably start clinging to it actually, but at some point uh, after suffering with that a little bit, we'll learn to oh, enjoy it, feel that it, it's pleasant, but we don't get pulled off centered either. We don't get jerked around by the pleasant and unpleasant so much. We start to learn to just be free and awake and clear and at peace in the midst of it. And then as we keep practicing, that circle keeps growing to contain more and more of the experience of our lives within which we can just be, find the freedom. You know, the Buddhist teaching is, is that that place of freedom, you know, I'm using these words here, of, of peace, if you will, or well-being, a real profound place of well-being that doesn't get shaken so easily can be found in any moment, any experience. But we have to train ourselves. We can't pick the strongest experience, right? You know, if you're sitting here long enough and it feels like a knife sticking in your knee or your back or your shoulder or your neck, well, that's too much. It's outside of the edge of the circle. Our circle hasn't expanded enough yet to contain it. And so, you know, then we'll need to shift and move or, or we'll suffer because it'll be too much. That's the training, is learning how to find the freedom or the awakening or the liberation in the midst of the ups and downs of our lives given the fact of impermanence and dukkha. And it's just part of the way life is. You know, um, one last piece, and then we'll have a little time for the question and answer or discussion. Um, some people have an experience, and this isn't true for everyone, so it may not fit for you, but some people have an experience, um, and see if this is true for you, where even if things are going well in life, there can be just a feeling of, some, I'll try to say it a few different ways, something's missing or I'm not quite there. I may not know what there is, but it's not this. I'm still, there's something missing in life. It's just that aspect of life. Some people are nodding. That's dukkha. That's another place. It's direct experience. It's great. Just when, don't make a problem with that. Just That's another way dukkha can manifest. So I happen to be, I'll just give an example, I happen to be uh, going through a time, so I had a very, very, I won't give, bore you with the details, but I had a very, very difficult summer. And I had some depression and some circumstances, and it was very challenging. And you work with it the best you can when these things come. Then at the, after the summer, now I'm going through a, a phase, which I'm very appreciative of, where everything's going great. I'm pretty healthy, I have this cold, but you know, no, that's not... Uh, and pretty much all the life circumstances here, I, I really don't have much to complain about in life. 
And I'm still, what's interesting, and I'm not really trying to get a laugh here, but I'm still complaining. And I was saying something to my wife about this, and, I'm, I'm, and you know, just something felt off, and I was just, I don't know. And, and my wife is in such a kind way without, you know, she, she just said it in such a kind way. She didn't attack me or say something was wrong with me. She just said, you know, isn't it amazing how we all talking about me, but she said, isn't it amazing how we all can, even when everything's going great and there's nothing to complain about, and it can still feel like, you know, something's off or missing or I'm still looking for something and, and, and everything. And it was so wonderful, I just kind of woke up out of my um, trance and was like, oh yeah, that's what's happening. You know, I really don't have much to complain about. Uh, you know, it'll change too, right? It doesn't last. And maybe I'll have another summer like last summer. Who knows? But that place of, you know, I'm not there. Or is this all there is? Or it's, I'm missing something. It's just not quite as... It can be vague. We can't identify it sometimes. That's another way that dukkha can manifest. It's just that part of life where it's just something's missing as human beings. And so many people experience it. There's nothing wrong if you feel that. And you don't, if you don't feel it, Great. It's just part of like dukkha is part of the fabric of any experience. And so then we, the trick is, can we make peace with life as it is, including its inherently unsatisfactory nature? And then that inner peace, it's that cliche of, you know, we meditate to find inner peace or inner happiness. You know, these cliches, because there's truth there, they're so true and it gets said so much, and that's the place that then can carry out into Anyway, maybe I'll just stop. I'm, I'm, I know I'm kind of repeating here, so um, we have some time. If anybody, if you have questions, that's fine. Or if comments um, or anything. So, and also I see we've got the microphone, so I guess that, Thanks. please use that, yeah. For some kind of changes in life, like getting old or uh, getting sick, you were mentioning that nothing's going wrong. It's just what's happening or, or what's happened. And we make more of a, we make it a problem in a sense. Yeah. Other uh, states or situations or experiences or whatever that it's not just something that happened. It's actually you know, like abnormal or something. And it, um, I guess it is a problem and you should do something about yeah. it. Yeah. And how do you discriminate between something that's kind of just a natural thing that's just changing or something that's, uh, no, that's yeah. something needs to be done? Or something? Yeah, oh, I appreciate that. And, and, and maybe that wasn't a good thing to say it because there are times when things have gone wrong. And so first of all, there's times when the body gets sick just because it gets sick. And there's also times where it gets sick because, you know, we should have exercised and, and eaten well and done stress reduction and not smoked or whatever, you know, and, and so there's both. But So what I would say is, uh, my own suggestion, this is the way I try to live my life, is certainly we should always try to fix any situation we can and improve it, improve the circumstances, right, if we can do it. So regardless of, I don't know the answer to when is it nothing going wrong and it's just the natural course of things or when is it going wrong, I, maybe, uh, I don't know that. But maybe a good approach is is that, you know, like if you get diagnosed and, and you know, I, I'll bet, and I, once again, I don't want to trigger anyone off, but I'll bet in a group the size, there's about 30 of us here, there's probably some people here, for example, dealing with some 
chronic, possibly life-threatening illnesses, right, in a group this size. So a few of you may, for example, well, um, you know, if, if that happens to me and I get diagnosed, say, a cancer, for example, I'm going to try everything I can to fix the situation. And it's going to be what it is. So uh, to the extent, and I think it's natural that if, if using that example, that, that that's, I'm picking something kind of big here, but, uh, um, you know, if something like that happens, you know, it's going to shake us around, <laughs> right? I mean, if someone came to me and said, well, you know, I've just been diagnosed with, you know, this cancer, and but, you know, I'm just, really, I'm just kind of at peace, and I'm just not, I would be very suspicious. I would be, you know, even some have been meditating for a long time and practicing, and, others, you know, I'd be suspicious. It's like, of course, you know, it's, it's hard to deal with these things. I'm not trying to say what anyone's experience should be, but... So I'm not trying to say we're not supposed to be a human being and have the difficulties. And we try our best to, uh, you know, it's that old serenity prayer that, you know, give me the, boy, I'm going to screw it up, but, you know, the, 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 please help someone. What is it? Yeah, it's it's the, you know, the something or other to to change what, right, strength to change the things that I can. The courage to, or the something to, to, to the things I can't, to the difference, right? That's a really great, that's kind of the whole Dharma, if you will. That's the whole Dharma right there. And so, yeah. And it's not only that, but it's not only um, within ourselves. We take that right out into the world. So, for example, you know, um, you know, we look at all the difficulties. It's the same out into the world. So, you know, we don't sit here and, you know, uh, and say, you know, there's this war in Iraq or, or like Hurricane Katrina hits. And the um, this is an uh, example I use many times. But, you know, I remember when the people were in the uh, convention center and, I, you know, we're hearing all those horrible stories. And what, what was it? For three days they didn't have water or food and they couldn't get out. So, you know, after three days, no water or food. That's going to be pretty rough, and you know, I have the sanitation, and you're hearing all these other stories of what the situation was like. That's not a time to tell someone, no, 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 it's, it's your problem is you're suffering because uh, you're, you're looking for your happiness and having certain experiences and not having others, and you need to, like, you're, you're clinging. Of course not. You need to change the situation. You need to get food in there. You need to get water in there. So we need to know when it's time to take action in our own situations, when it's time to take action in the world, and I don't think we want to throw that part away or we're we're missing a piece. So we keep all of that, and then we just learn to add in a piece that also says there's also another piece too, which is learning to um, be more in harmony with the flow of life and when it's you know, when, you know, once you've given the person the food and the water and they, there's social justice and there's not discrimination and they have a decent job and their families are safe um, and all that, which is important. But let's not stop there because there's also impermanence and dukkha. And there's a whole other level we can keep going to find a whole other level of well-being, too. I don't know. Is that? Yeah, right. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yes, please. Um, let's see. Can you hear okay. <clears throat> I just thought about 
why maybe we don't have more people from lower incomes with us. Uh, in the health education, they talk about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's really sad. Yeah, that's right. And there's no question about it. Um, and, and by the way, I will say, I appreciate that a lot. Um, so and, um, in the Buddha, this is a, an image that, or, that, the, that the Buddha gave. And um, whether this is literally true or not in the way the universe works, I don't know but it's, it's meant to inspire us. And the way the Buddha said is, of all the, the whole universe and all the different realms, that you, you know, there's this whole cosmology and different realms of places to be born and forms to be born in. To find yourself in the human realm, it's, it's taught is, and the Buddha did say this, so I don't know myself, I'm kind of agnostic on it, but uh, the Buddha did say that it's um, just incredibly rare Matter of fact, he used this uh, famous image of a blind sea turtle, and um, he, he said, "Imagine there's a yoke, which is meant to be like a it's a wooden life preserver ring, with a hole in the middle, and it's floating randomly someplace on the ocean, on some ocean on the earth, and then randomly somewhere else in some ocean is a blind sea turtle that comes up for a, to take a breath once every hundred years." What's the odds that that sea turtle's head is going to come up exactly right up in the middle of the hole in that wooden life preserver ring? Pretty small. But given enough time, eventually, just statistically, you know, the the turtle would swim around and it would swim, you know, turtles in the Indian Ocean and the yolk would float from Pacific and eventually over eons, probably longer than the lifetime of span of the universe, but at some point the head would make it just statistically. And the Buddha said uh, that's the... He was actually speaking if you were born in some of what they call lower realms, not if you're already a human being, to be reborn as a human. But he said to attain it, the status of being a human being, that's how rare it was. I don't know if he was just trying to make a point or if he was trying to be literal, I don't know. But the point was trying to get us to use this precious life. That's the point. So here we are, we've got this precious life. That's the teaching. And then once you are a human, we look around and we see the life, the circumstances of most people on the planet. And, you know, there's, you know, it's pretty rough out there. You look into Africa and you look in war-torn regions and famine and disease and all around. So to find yourself in a place in, in time and space and in a culture where you're not in the middle of that, or even in our own society here where maybe you're not in some... And I'm, I don't know, I, I, I want to be careful about uh, uh, racial and class stereotypes here, so please forgive me, but I'm just trying to make a point here. Maybe you're in some you know, inner city you know, where there's shootings, and you know, you're just worried about like, getting your kid to school, right? I'm kind of, I have some emotion come up because it's something that, sorry, somebody I actually know with, dealing with some difficulties recently around that. So, see, just even thinking about it brought up a lot around that. If that's what you're dealing with, right? So, so for any of us, and I don't know everybody's circumstances here, but, you know, then to find yourself in a position where maybe you're not in that and maybe you, like, have enough food to eat. 
and you have enough health to even, maybe you're dealing with something healthy, but at least your mind's good enough to even reflect on Dharma teachings. That's pretty rare, very small subset of all human beings. And then of those, how many of them even hear these kind of teachings? Even smaller. And then of those, how many would think it was a good idea to want to even practice or care about these spiritual kind of things and want to live our lives in a way that, that uh, try to live in a way that creates the conditions for ourselves and for others too. to, to, to want to learn to like grow in wisdom and compassion and all these things, that that would be important to us, right? And then of those, how many actually practice? So the point the Buddha was making is that you're right and so if we do find ourselves in the situation where, we, and, and I'm not saying you can't have any health issues. For example, I deal with some chronic fatigue myself. And, um, and I want to tell you that many, it, 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 I, um, it took me a lot of years to get to the point. I, uh, I definitely have areas where I suffer in life. But around this chronic fatigue, I've suffered around it for a lot of years, but I don't suffer at all around it anymore. It's other, I have my other sufferings. But the point is, you can have... Um, I've made my peace after a lot of years. And you can um, have your health issues, but you can still practice with a lot. I'm not saying there's no hindrances, but you can practice with a lot. You have to, you've got the inspiration. You showed up. You actually got here. The, the conditions came together so that you actually showed up at this center or who knows what else you do. So it's considered very precious and rare. And then what we're invited to do is to reflect on then what's, what's life all about? What's it about? What do I want my life to be about on the highest and deepest level? Right? What do I really want it to be about? And then to make some conscious choices, whatever that is, I'm not going to try and tell anybody what that answer is going to be. I hope at least a part of the answer would be to live in a way that um, you know is a light in the world for other, for ourselves and for others that, that can manifest in many different ways, right? Whatever that means, that's a pretty broad, generic kind of statement. And if that's true, then that we have the motivation to use our precious time uh, well. So that's kind of the invitation. Anyway, um, so we're just up against the clock here. So we need to end. And actually, because it's um, um, one minute to nine, and I want to be respectful of the time, so, so here's the way I would, is I'm going to do a very, very short ending piece, just literally three or four minutes. And so if you want to stay for three or four more minutes and acknowledge we did go over and I apologize and that's fine, we'll be out here soon. And if you really need to go because of the time, please don't feel self-conscious and take care of yourself and, you know, and, and go uh, if you need to. Okay? All right. For those of you who are going to stay for the, uh, for the next uh, three or four minutes, I invite you to um, get comfortable, as comfortable as your body would allow. And the first thing I would invite you to do that sometimes when there's discussion or talks, you know, our awareness can kind of go out into the room and we kind of lose the connection with ourselves. It can happen. So if that has happened with you, 
to bring your mindful awareness back in connecting in with yourself. And a good way to do that is just connecting right into the body and just checking in, you know, whatever's, whatever's there. may not be much going on or maybe some achiness or sleepiness or restlessness or whatever. Just a sense of being here in the body. Connecting into the mind, the heart, the whole experience of being here. And, you know, there may have been things, for example, in this discussion or this talk, you may or may not have had some things that came up, maybe some things that you liked, and, or maybe some unpleasant things or things you don't like or difficulties that have come up from this. You didn't like what was said or whatever. Just whatever your experience is, connecting in and just let, feeling it, not having to push it away, not having to do anything with it, but with that mindful, awake presence, just letting yourself be Letting yourself show up in this moment in, in the way that you do. It's a, it's a place of great um, self-acceptance and just allowing ourselves to be. And if there's some place in us that we can't really have that sense of allowing or letting be, there's some struggle or some judgment, then bring some acceptance to that place. And then I invite you from that place, that place of of self-acceptance, of self-compassion and kindness, to reflect. It's really really about some gratitude for for yourself, an appreciation for yourself. That as I was, we were just saying a few minutes ago, you know, we could have done anything this evening. And you chose to come and spend time uh, meditating, it may or, may or may not have felt like you were doing much, but really trying, practicing to meditate, reflecting on uh, these Dharma teachings, very important around impermanence and uh, suffering or unsatisfactoriness, and how that we can use that in a way that, to inform how we live our lives. And so, um, and to really come and spend some time that's really about two things how we can grow in love and compassion and in wisdom. And that you chose to do that. And so I hope that would really give you some, some inspiration and appreciation for yourself. Not in an egotistic way, but really some real appreciation. You know, that is something that's important to me. And that we can feel good about that and feel some inspiration. And then finally, to also reflect that any time we... we Spend time in this way cultivating these wholesome qualities, love, compassion, wisdom. It's of great benefit to ourselves and to others. And in fact, it's not possible to practice for ourselves alone. It's literally not possible that any time we develop these wholesome qualities in ourselves, it also affects everyone we come in contact with. And so let us end by what is called a dedication of merit. Let us offer up uh, more consciously if there's been any um, benefit or goodness or we say merit that's been generated or obtained by our time together this evening. 
Let us offer it up. May it be for the benefit and liberation of all beings. And let us wish, may all beings uh, be happy, may all beings be peaceful, and may all beings come to an end of suffering. So thank you all uh, very much for your practice this evening.